Welcome into another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Caleb Hatch alongside Justin Kinney. And this week we are joined by a special guest. It is the driver of the number 30 Shield Cleansers, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing Honda, Christian Lungar joining us. Christian, thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. And uh, you were doing quite well last weekend, your first visit to the Kentucky Derby, and you just happened to uh, place your bet on Rich Strike. How was your first oh, yeah. experience at the Derby? Um, awesome, to be honest. No, I, I've never been to a horse race before in my life, um, and I'm definitely going again next year. Um, if, if it fits in the schedule, obviously, but um, I'll, I'll try to find a way to make it work. Um, it was it was just such a blast showing up and you know going into the unknown, not knowing what to what's going to happen and and you know how it's going to pan out. Um, I think it's just such a cool event how it all uh, works out with I think it's eleven races before you know like it all just pans out the whole day and you're sitting there and waiting and then kind of one one race an hour um, and then you sit down and you you chat to people and then. You go outside for two minutes, and then that's that race is done, and you you go inside for another hour, and the day is long, but it was it was just so cool. Now, what was the outfit choice, and uh, were you there with any other drivers? No, so I was actually there with Stanton Russ, uh, the owner of Digital Ally, uh, which also owns uh, Shield Cleansers. Um, so we went out there and had some fun. They invited us out. Um, which was cool. Uh, I told him to uh, to count me in again for next year. Now, shifting to the GMR Grand Prix coming up this weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it's an event that, for the first time in your young NTT IndyCar Series career, you're actually familiar with. What is kind of the the takeaway and the anticipation going into this weekend, knowing that you've actually raced at this track and have some familiarity with the course? Enjoyed even more than I did last year. Um, I came in with the expectations last year to learn as much as possible. Um, and I have a blast while doing it. Um, which I ended up doing on, except on, on race day on Sunday. Uh, we had some, uh, some poor kebab or uh, whatever it was, uh, during Saturday night. Uh, we had some sort of a barbecue with, uh, with some dodgy food and, and pretty much the whole team had a, <laughs> had a, a stomach ache the next day and, and a food poisoning or whatever we had. Um, so I didn't have much sleep going into Sunday, which was kind of un- unfortunate. So, you know, looking back, uh, I wish we could have finished the race better. We had a very competitive car and qualifying, uh, qualified fourth, um, kind of out of nowhere. I don't think anyone really expected that. Um, so if we can build on that this weekend, we will uh, we'll be looking good. Christian, in such a competitive series like IndyCar is now, you really have to maximize your opportunities, and you were able to maximize that opportunity last year at the uh, at the Grand Prix. How has that race, that performance, maybe even that Saturday qualifying effort, really helped uh, you know continue your career in IndyCar? Because it did open a lot of eyes, not just around the paddock, but also uh, amongst fans as well. I mean, in the end, it is the reason why I'm here today. Um, so I, I'm, I'm blessed to be here, blessed to have the opportunity to, to race in IndyCar. Um, my, my eyes had always been on Formula One. I've, I've grown up in the European racing ladder, um, raced Formula Two for two years, 
looking looking at finding a seat in Formula One. Um, but with only 20 cars and, 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 a, and a factory series where they build the cars uh, without an extra team, there was no opportunity to, to get a seat. Um, so to come over here, get that opportunity, it opens up uh, my opportunities as well. Um, so to, to just experience the IndyCar family has been awesome. It's been amazing. Uh, get to know new people. It's all new. I, I showed up at Barber which was the first ever track I, I tested on in, uh, in the IndyCar. I came into the track for the race weekend a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, where am I going? You know, it's all so new. I, I drove in with a car pass, and I didn't know where to park. I had to call people. But, oh, where am I going? Because um, I've been so used to, to, to the European culture. And to come over here, you know, I get to know and learn so much new stuff, um, which in the end makes me a better, better driver, better person. Um, get to work with new engineers. Um, so far, it's been a blast. It's been awesome. Results hasn't been been as good as we we hoped for, um, but only only the good is to come. Christian, you you mentioned going through the European ladder F four, F three, F two, and then coming overseas now to the states to IndyCar. What are some of the biggest adjustments for you uh, on track racing, and also you know personally for you? Um, I mean, the personal speaks for itself. Uh, I mean, moving across uh, the ocean to, to comp- I mean, moving across the whole globe, really. Um, you know, we, we're living in different time zones. So when I wake up, uh, half of the day is already gone by from for my family and, and friends. And so, uh, you know, so it's difficult to find times where, you know, you can chit-chat and, and catch up. Um, but in terms of racing, I think, once you know how to drive a car, it's not really that different. I think it's all the, the regulations and rules and, and stuff you, you need to be on, on top of. Uh, for example, um, what times the autograph sessions are at, and, and don't miss that because you'll be fine and stuff. I mean, we didn't have that in Europe. Must have been because I was in the lower categories, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of different different stuff that you need to adjust to. Um, but, I mean, it, it, you got to take the bad with the good uh, and the good with the bad. So... I mean, I'm not complaining about anything. Uh, to be honest, I'm loving every second of it. The atmosphere over here is just amazing. Um, I, I can tell you that I've told a few European drivers that uh, that they should come over here instead. Christian Lungard joins us, and you kind of touched on the paddock. What has been that adjustment like where it's just a completely different style in the U.S. compared to in Europe and more of the cutthroat mentality that they have over there? To put it in one word, it's more open. Um, I think it, I think it's the IndyCar has done it the right way with opening up for fans. It's a bit when you look at it, it, it feels like okay, this this is going to sound wrong. It's it's the top series that is doing what the lower categories in Europe are doing to gain fans. If that makes sense. So, the, like for example, DTM, uh, which is a, a touring car category where they, they're, they're very open in their paddock um, and they let people in like they do over here. But I just think that is so much better than uh, what other series in, in Europe are doing with, with such a closed uh, paddock. Everything, like, you, you, you need to be the, the right person to be able to get in where you, where you want to get in. Um, where I, I think it, over here they just create so many opportunities for, for, for kids, for, for everyone, every race fan that, that shows up at the track that, that just want to see, see cars race. 
Christian, let's talk about uh, Ray Hall Letterman landing and racing here and through the first four races of the season. How has the dynamic been uh, with you guys uh, as as you and, and Graham and and really kind of coming together as a group that really brings, you know, a bunch of different uh, qualities to the team and a bunch of different age groups as well. So how's the mesh gone so far with the three of you? I think... Um in terms of the driver lineup, I'm I'm pretty satisfied. Even not not to sound uh, uh, bold, but um, I think especially the driver lineup, we're 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 in good shape. I think we're 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 all good guys. We we like to work with each other. We push each other. Uh, we try to help each other. Um, we got the experienced Graham Rahal. Uh, we got Jack Harvey, who's been to every track. He's a very quick driver. He uh, he knows what he's doing, and and I come over here with my experience from Europe, uh, so I need to, you know, lay on their shoulders for each event uh, we go to that I've never been to. So tracks um, for for the for the rest of the season, like Detroit, uh, Mid Ohio, Road America, uh, etc. You know, I I need to get. I'll probably say get more out of them in in terms of preparation. So so I I show up more prepared with their experience. Um, but the whole team in general, I think results. We haven't been where we want to be. We haven't shown our full potential because I think the results speak for itself there. Um, but there's more in the car. There's more we we can extract um, from what the, the package we have. And I think this weekend is is the best weekend to to show it because we had a good baseline last year. Uh, we qualified P4, so, I mean, if we can't do that again this year, it's it's definitely not the car's fault. Um, so we, we, we just got to maximize our opportunities, because I don't think uh, our package in general is that bad. We, we just got to put everything together at the right point, which I believe has, has been a bit of our weakness at, uh, so far this season. You mentioned new tracks and you know new configurations to ovals, right? You were at Texas earlier this year. You have Indy coming up, obviously, at the end of this month. I, I can imagine the open test was of tremendous value at IMS. But how have you acclimated uh, to ovals so far? It's nuts. <laughs> Come, coming over here and, and jumping in the car. Um, I remember for the open test at the, at the Speedway, uh, Rossi spun on the... Um, we kind of had like an install lap and he spun going going through one and two on the inside. Um, and when, I, when the team told me that, I'm like, uh-oh, this is going to be a fun day. Because, um, <laughs> you know, like it, it just, as a European driver, we, we, we don't think of oval racing. Like it, it, from a European's perspective, it just sounds so American to drive around in circles. Um, like I would put it. Uh, don't hold, don't hold me up on that. Um, <laughs> well, you but, break uh, it down. That's basically what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in the end, but uh, you know, you race and you race hard, but with respect. Um, and that's what I've learned over here is the the amount of respect from the drivers. Because I mean, I I can send a bold one on on an experienced driver, and he's going to come over over to me and say I'm a I'm a dumbass, you know, because um, he has that experience that I don't have. And I gotta, I gotta learn from them. I gotta look back many years of uh, oval races, you know, to just be more prepared. And that's what I've done over over the winter is is be sure that I come uh, come into an oval event and not look like a guy that doesn't know what he's doing. 
Um, because there's other guys on the track. I mean, I can put myself at risk and, and hit the wall, but I can also take someone with me. Um, so I think that's been the biggest challenge is, is kind of uh, adapting to, to that kind of racing because you are traveling at so high speeds. And, and as you know, uh, the, the brakes aren't so efficient on, um, on oval races because you don't want them to drag around the whole track to slow you down. Um, so, I mean, once you're out there, there's, there's not much you can do. Uh, except being smart and 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 race hard and 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 be be gentle at the same time. Christian Lungard joins us. Christian, obviously, you want to get a result going into preparations for the Indianapolis 500 uh, this weekend at the GMR Grand Prix. But how do you feel about the Speedway car and configuration that the Ray Hall team has put together uh, for the Indy 500 this year? Um. We, I think the car that Graham raced with last year was, was one of the better cars. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have joined the team if I didn't believe they could do it. Um, I think every, every team has got more to come. Uh, we, we definitely have more to come. We, uh, we've got the whole of next week to, to prepare for, for qualifying weekend and, and get it done. Um, but obviously the, the points are, are scored on on the Sunday of 29th of May. That's the one we want to win. We don't necessarily want to win uh, the qualifying uh, weekend, but uh, the whole of next week through Tuesday to Friday is, is where all the work will properly be put in. Um, the the whole team is putting every every bit of energy and, and, and time into making those cars as fast as they can. Um, I've got the full belief in, in, in the team doing that. So um, I'm not too worried. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a blast for me to, 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 to drive out of the, the pit lane for, for qualifying and, and even the race, you know, standing on the grid, um, just seeing all the people and, and then get your helmet on and you're, you suddenly switch into this race mode and, and don't even notice they're there. Um, I think that's going to be the, the, the most special moment. Christian, you got five races in the books as an IndyCar driver. Is there any drivers that have kind of uh, stood out that you enjoy racing on track the most? Whether they're fair, whether they're they're tough to pass, whether they're you know whatever. Are there guys that stand out yet in terms of you find yourself near this driver or that driver, and it, it kind of stands out to you? Um, you know, I, I would uh, I would like to put myself in the, in the position of being one of the top drivers. That's that's what every driver wants to do, right? Um, but I, I mean, it, it's difficult to pick one or or a few. I think the the majority of the grid is is tough races, but fair races. Um, we got. I, I would put it this way: that um, the drivers with uh, the least years in IndyCar is probably I wouldn't say the craziest drivers, but the the ones that are are most more likely to to, to be in the tougher fights um, compared to the, the more experienced drivers in IndyCar. Uh, I mean, if you look at Scott Dixon, uh, he just stays out of trouble. You know, he's a, he's a very, very quick driver. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to, how to take advantage of everyone else's mistakes. For example, in Barber, he was behind me on the first stint and we were competing for, I don't know, P13, and he ended up finishing fourth, and I finished 16th. So, um, you know, like looking at Scott, I think Scott is a good example on that. Um, yeah, it, it's tough to pick one. 
One thing that you seem to figure out pretty early on, at least in qualifying last year for the Grand Prix, was just the difference between the black primary tires and the red softer compound tires that IndyCar uses. You know, that's kind of one of the tougher things for drivers to figure out is figuring out the reds. How did you adapt so quickly to that? So in Europe, we we have the same concepts, sort of. Um, So we also have two compounds per weekend in, in Formula 2. Um, but we have, I think, I believe it's is it four or five compounds, which they kind of change throughout the, um, the season. So uh, we raced on Pirelli tires in Europe that Pirelli would choose a two compounds for this track and two compounds for this track, which was hard, medium, soft and super soft. And for the, the tracks with low degradation, they would choose the softest tires. So they would do super soft and soft for Monaco, for example, because it's a track that's not tough on the tires. But a track like in Bahrain, where it's very hot, and so they would do hards and uh, maybe mediums or softs. So it's still as in black and red, but the red can be a different compound from event to event. So the experience on on different compounds I had uh, from from my experience in Europe, um, so I wasn't really worried about that. Uh, it was more the, the race day on how much you could push on the tires because going into the race, I'd never done a stint longer than eight laps last wow. year. Wow, that's that's crazy. <laughs> that was your longest stint going into the race. Oh, before we let you go, uh, just curious, one, where are you living here in the States and what's the weirdest thing you've had to adjust while living in America? Food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so I, I, live, I live in India now. I live up in Carmel. Uh, which is a nice area. Uh, I know a lot of drivers live up there. I understand why. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think uh, I'm not going to say that it's difficult to eat healthy, but it's it's. I find it harder than it is uh, what I'm used to. Obviously, uh, I've I've been living at home for for pretty much the most of my life until the last couple of years. No, so I've uh, I've made my parents do food for me. Um, but I think, you know, living on your own, just being, uh, being, being yourself and being of kind of alone, you know, you, there's not much to do, uh, when you're, when it's off season. Cause I moved over here in, in the end of the last year, uh, kind of at the year shift. Um, but it's been good to prepare with the team, but the most, uh, well, what I've had to uh, adjust the most to is, um, I need to think about that. Other than food, I think it's oh probably training. I've trained uh, quite a fair bit. All right. Well, Christian, thanks so much for joining us, and good luck this weekend in the GMR Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, and we'll also look forward to watching you in the 106th Indianapolis 500 coming up on May 29th. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Very fun to chat with Christian Lungard. You forget how young these guys are. Some of these, I mean, Christian's not even 21 years old. Yeah, he turns and, 21 in July. Right. <laughs> and so a guy that, like he said, you know, lived at home most of his life, all of his life, and then not only moves out for the first time, but moves out halfway around the world. And so he's on his own. He's uh, he's in Carmel. 
And that can be, a, you know, the roundabouts can be intimidating. <laughs> I mean, Telling you talk you. about oval driving. Yeah, right? <laughs> Making practice on the ovals that are the roundabouts in suburban Indianapolis. But uh, he seems to be settling in pretty well with Ray Hall Letterman landing in racing. Now five races in the books. And, and you know, he was the talk last year after the Grand Prix. Or was it the, the, well, the second race? The second, whatever yes, it is, road course race, whatever called. we're supposed to call that. Yeah, right. The so, but he, you know, a guy that came out of nowhere and, and qualified what fourth for the yeah. race had some issues, both uh, gastrointestinal <laughs> and on track on Sunday uh, to finish with twelfth. But uh, he really opened a lot of eyes around the paddock and in the IndyCar community, and it's turned into a full time ride and. He's settling in pretty well at Ray Letterman Landing and Racing. We're learning these courses. It's always difficult the first time around. And, you know, oh, not to mention the fact that he's throwing in ovals as well. I forgot about the gastrointestinal is- issues that he had the whole last team, year in the race. Yeah, like, the whole yeah. team. I- See, that's what happened. He tried to bring unique, you know, Dutch food. Uh, you know, European food over and uh, it didn't work out. Dan- Danish food. Danish food, yes. So um, it's crazy. Denmark. Danish is Denmark, yes. right? Yes. Got it. <laughs> it's crazy that that all happened to the team. And that's probably just the food for the team hospitality, right? Yeah. You know, trying to do something nice, get some food from Denmark, some authentic and uh, got everybody sick. So probably the last time that's going to happen for the team, you know, at least for the foreseeable future. Well, we'll preview the GMR Grand Prix, which is coming up Saturday at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. A short weekend. They have stuff activity on Thursdays. We record Thursday afternoon. A lot of road to Indy stuff. Correct. But as far as the schedule, Friday, practice one for IndyCar 9.30 to 10.30 in the morning. Peacock, IndyCar Live for international viewers who do not have access to an international program, Sirius XM, and then obviously IndyCar Radio. And then for IndyCar practice two, 12.45 to 1.45 Eastern. Same platforms for that one. For qualifying, 4 to 5.15 in the afternoon Eastern time for IndyCar. Again, all the same platforms. And then on Saturday, there will be a warm-up from 10.30 to 11 in the morning Eastern time. And then the race coverage, 3 to 6 p.m. on NBC, Peacock, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, and IndyCar Radio. Green flag, approximately 3.20, it looks like, on the weekend schedule. So... This is a, a race that, you know, it's gone back and forth, but I think there's going to be a wrench thrown into it with the chance of rain on Saturday afternoon in the Indy area. I think a greater chance down there than we have up here, here in northeastern Indiana. They're calling for a slight chance here of a passing storm, but I think it's going to be more down there earlier in the day, potentially. And I think we can agree that the best road race that we've seen at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in terms of IndyCar racing is that one that was pseudo halfway in the wet. So would add an interesting dynamic to the race on Saturday. Yes, that was Simon Pagino getting the win in 2019 over Scott Dixon, who has had just an insane amount of podiums here, but no wins for this race. In fact, we'll get to our three key stats from Chad 200, plus a bonus stat for you, Justin, that's going to blow your mind. I like being blown out of my mind. (laughs) First off, Will Power, five wins, five pulls. 341 laps led. No other driver in the event has led more than 75. Alexander Rossi, two podiums, four top fives, two laps led in the event. Graham Rahal, uh, Christian Lungard's teammate at Rahal Letterman Landing and Racing. He's improved 79 positions 
in his last 10 starts here. Most top 10s among all drivers in the event. All right. Now I'm going to get to the stat and note that is going to blow your mind. This driver has led more lap laps on the IMS road course than these drivers combined. Alexander Rossi, Alex Blow, Marcus Erickson, Jack Harvey, Scott McLaughlin, Juan Montoya, Tony Kanaan, Takuma Sato. And that driver is Oriol Servia. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's pretty crazy. How about that? So when you look at this weekend and you know what we have in store for this event, Again, I think with the threat of scattered showers, possibly storms, we kind of want that for the GP in a weird way because it could make it a more entertaining race. And outside of that, it's not like it's going to be cold and miserable like it was when we went in, what, 2019? Right. It's going to be warm. Would you never know what you're going to get in Indiana pretty much any time, let alone May. You expect it to be warm, but Mother Nature likes to have other plans sometimes. Absolutely. So we look at this race. And it's it's kind of the, what, the appetizer, really, to the month of May. It is, and it kind of brings, you know, maybe a lot of people, I don't know if inside the paddock, but definitely outside and media, you really have to, you want to start May off on the right foot, right? And I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. You look at Simon Pagino, who was able to dominate the month of May, that started with the GP, but, you know, is that factual? I mean, do we feel whoever wins this weekend has a great shot going into the 500 or the, the two weeks? I have a hard time really saying that both are coupled on each other. I really have a tough time saying, okay, the momentum that you can get on Grand Prix weekend takes you into next week, takes you into qualifying weekend, takes you into the 500. I really feel like they're two completely separate events to me. I think there may be certain aspects of the momentum, but they're completely different setups. In some instances, they're completely different cars. So I, to me, really look at this and say this is a completely independent event. Whatever happens on Saturday, I'm going to have a tough time coming back next week and saying, well, this team or this driver really set the stage for the 500 because I really feel that there's little to gain from one event to the other. Unless you're a driver for Team Penske, where it's just going to ramp up the hype, right? Yeah, or Chevy, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. Chevy wants to continue their streak of four wins and four races, and they really want to take that momentum into Indianapolis. And you would say, conversely, Honda would love to be able to stop that momentum here this weekend. So taking a look at, at drivers and what we expect, I'm going to go right out and, and make my selection because I, I feel pretty good. He's had a, a great run of success at this event. And he, it seems like he's knocking on the doorstep to a win. He's been very competitive all season. Who do you think I'm picking? Will Power. Yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, seems to be a, a good bet. And, and, you know, speaking of bets, you know, I'm interested to see if the bets are out. But I'm going to go, man, it, it's very tough to pick against Will. It's very tough to pick against Team Penske at this point. But I'm going to go Scott Dixon. And I feel like at some point, he's going to remind everybody that he's still the driver at Chip Ganassi Racing. And maybe not, you know, the most talented anymore. I'm saying Alex Plo could be that guy. But just to remind us that, hey, he's still here, he's still racing, and he's still a winner. And I think, you know, looking at the bet at the uh, odds right now, you can get willpower at plus 900 right now. Which is if crazy. If you are a betting man or woman... Go on DraftKings right now and take that bet. Colton Herta 
the most favorable odds at plus 550, followed by New Garden at plus 600, Polo at 700, Pato Ward at 800, before you get to Will Power at plus 900. And if you're looking for a long shot, Simon Pagenaud, he was last at what, like plus 2,500 or something? He's still at plus 2,500 right now. You know, former race winner has been highly competitive there, yes, with a different team, but it's a team that uh, has had success at the Speedway, obviously. So... Very interesting. I'm, I'm shocked that Will Power is at plus 900 right now. All right. There's our race picks, which I don't think we've gotten a race winner. No, I think correct. we've been pathetic all week or all year so <laughs> Most far. Most of the season. I think we maybe got one. Yeah, it's uh, it's bad news. Don't listen to us. But in this respect, we're taking one of the guys that had the, has had the most success in this event in Will Power. So, and Scott Dixon, who's yes. been right there, just hasn't won it. Absolutely. And you feel like at some point... He's going to remind Alex Pillow and the IndyCar community that, hey, I'm still here and I'm still Scott Dixon. All right. Well, if you agree or disagree with our picks, please let us know. Uh, you can find us on social media. IndyCar Podcast is our Twitter handle. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. You can email us, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. Also, check out our website, newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements that we've made. And while you're there, check out the store. We have stickers for sale, t-shirts still for sale. That was just the first batch. If you wanted it before the 8,500, that that uh, deadline is passed for that to be shipped out, but we still have t-shirts for sale as well. And you can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash new track record. There are different perks. If you sign up for the different tier levels there as well. Shout out to Cole and Rob, who are our Patreon members right there. And also, as always, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform. Follow us for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, Justin, mailbag time. And we had plenty of comments, speaking of willpower, on his uh, livery for the Indy 500. So to be clear... It's multicolored. It's got like a gold color, red, black, purple. It was unveiled during National Nurses Week. There's which a lot is this going week. on on that car. Also something to do with uh, Verizon and uh, like a rollout of their 5G ultra wideband advertising. It's supposed to, to match those colors, which it's kind of similar. Frank and Carr, if you will. A lot of comments, a lot of, lot of people... Uh, not necessarily big fans of it, but here's what we had uh, people saying. Poet Shevchenko, I think it looks okay. I like that it'll add to the vibrancy of the field. Look, you're not going to miss this car. No, and I, I like the use of the word vibrancy. Yes. Very good. Good word. Yes. Hunter's Way 67 says, no bueno. DC Soda, compared to how aggressively boring his liveries usually are, this is a massive improvement. I don't, Personally, I like the black and red Verizon car they've run in the past. Right. The Silver Bullet car was great the one he won the indy 500 in yes so i don't know i guess i've not been bored oh you know cars you can't please everyone because either we say well all these all these cars are blue or black or whatever they used to all be red outside the box yeah (laughs) used to be red now it's something outside the box we got people complaining about that indy car nation is never 100 pleased and liveries (laughs) are a prime example of that oh yes everyone has their opinion uh vicky lynn 26 first impression don't love it but I didn't like Rossi's car either at first, but it's grown on me. You know what? I'd agree with that take. 
Jamin T14, if the number 12 car was a person, and it's a person dumping different colored cans of paint on themselves. It's <laughs> a hilarious gif. Nice. Human Spectre 1, when is the last time that we have seen them give power an alternate scheme for the 500? I'm all for it. Actually, I think they did that recently, where they modified the car, like they had the, the 5G car that was black instead of the silver bullet, I think a couple years ago. Right. So they're, they're making things a little different. Seiko Say says, looks great, something different. Yeah, I think it's different, and that can be appreciated. You, you, you'll be able to find that car on the track, for sure. G Offerman, the more variety, the better. Also, anything to stand out to a new audience is good. Indy 500 Trump says, big downgrade from the sharp black and red car. Is that papaya orange on the nose? <laughs> it's close. <laughs> ben Payne underscore Cam, don't like it. And Al underscore Roar says, looks like a rocket lolly. So... A lot of colors going on with that car, but hey, you're you're going to notice it on race day, and I think the advertiser and Team Penske are going to be quite pleased with and that. And that's all that matters, <laughs> right? <laughs> that Advertiser's is... happy, everybody's happy. Uh, N.K. Harden says, I thought of a tube of Starburst when I saw it. I think that's great. I did look at that after I saw the comment, and I could see it. Kind of made me hungry for Starburst. Yes. Are you? What is your Starburst color of choice? Oh, red. I'm red and pink. Yeah, I mean, you know, the little two packs you get, I think mm -hmm. your own, my own personal hell is opening those and having two yellows. Yes. Oh, absolutely agreed. That and is just like, like you, you think you win the lottery when you get a pink and red or yes. two reds or two pinks. I mean, throw an orange in there. It's yeah, fine. the orange is fine. Yeah, but double yellow, I Ooh. swear that's like 63% of the Starburst two packs are double yellows. It's... Yeah, that, that, that's when you're having a bad day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Notice you can buy like the Starbursts, all reds, you know, you can't buy Starburst all yellow. There's or a yellow and orange. That. Yes. There's no demand for it. I mean, I could see orange, but definitely not yellow. There's, there's nobody out there that likes yellow. If there are, let us know. <laughs> yes. But I'm still saying you're in the very, very minority. Tweet us, Facebook message us, email us. If you are a fan of Yellow Starburst, we have to know. And you have the gall to identify yourself. <laughs> Let us know. And we will start sending all of our double yellow two packs of Starburst to you. <laughs> NK Harden with this. I see all the Elio's drive for five stuff and I have to ask. Am I the only one who loves Elio and love that he's a four-time winner, but don't want him to ever win another 500? He's there with AJ, Al, and Rick. I don't want those guys ever to be second to anyone. That's a Great take. It is. I don't necessarily disagree. I think there's something to be said, and we're going to see it, you know, before race coverage on Saturday with the four-time winners. I feel like there's something special about that, right? And and if somebody wins five, it it takes away a lot of that. Yeah, I, I guess the way I look at it is, it was so hard for him to get that fourth. I don't feel like the fifth is going to be any easier well it won't be easier that's for sure but you have to say they have you know last person to repeat was elio right 2001 2002 yeah so the precedent is there but i feel like winning back-to-back -back indianapolis 500 20 years ago with that field is a little bit different than 2022 and yes, back -back the, the level of competition, competition, the depth of the teams, the depth of the drivers, it is completely different. Not saying he can't do it, and Mike Shank, friend of the podcast, if anybody can do it, he can, most assuredly, but it's very, very difficult. 
Absolutely. And it's not like Elio is really, and you know, he came out of nowhere, obviously, to win last year, but you know, the advantage of running a full season to prep for the 500, I just don't know if, if, if that's helped much this year, at least on track. Yeah, that's a it's a great thing to break down because he ran a handful of races last year, but running I the mean, full season, they they say drivers want that you know for the rhythm and just yeah you know, the continuity, practice. all that stuff. But is there something to be said right when you just do the month of May or a couple races here or there that the freedom of coming in and knowing that look, my whole season hinges on the Indianapolis 500, right? My whole racing season. Whereas when you race a whole entire season in every race, like Elio's doing is there's a lot of pressure, you know, week to week event to event. And you have to factor in as, as much as we don't want to talk about double points over Indianapolis 500 weekend there, that is in the back of your mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have the pressures of an entire 17 race season. So, you know, I'm not saying it's an advantage to be a one-off, but I think there are certain things that you don't have to worry about as a one-off driver or a three or four race driver going into the month of May that you do as a full-time driver. You can just go for it. Yeah, you just go. You're not worried about, you know, if I crash out, oh crap, I, I got it. You know, we're running short of parts and we got to have a car together for Detroit next week. You know, those kind of factors aren't, in the conversation for a majority of one-offs. And if Elio wins, Borg Warner, and I always forget that they do this every year and it goes up, but it's now a $400,000 jackpot for back-to-back Indy 500 winners. Do they keep adding to that every year? Yes. Is that what happens? Yeah, like 100K or 50K or... No, no, no. A lot, uh, not that much because it's been 20 years. So oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I think it 20? might be 50K. Okay. I'm not sure. 25 or 50. But it goes up every year nice so it's a it's a pretty good deal all right takes on hashtag any rivals team ray hall <laughs> team grosjean which is still ongoing yes very much so that indycar is going to monitor the which what does that mean yeah is that mean i mean obviously lack of clarity with that so does that mean that if grosjean does what he did at barber this weekend is that now a penalty um is it basically indycar appeasing graham rahal and saying okay you know we're gonna we'll have a conversation right because to me the last thing you want to do is deafen any amount of driver drama that we've seen and witnessed and heard about between barber and right now right i just need consistency and officiating i know other sports it is a massive struggle Right. With IndyCar, it seems like it is consistent and they're more apt to let them race as opposed to call a penalty a lot of the times. And I would say, what, 75-80%? I would venture to say most fans agree with the calls or no calls. Right. I And, you know, I, I have n- no issue with what Roman Grosjean did. And we went over this at length in the previous episode. You know, I don't, and I don't know who posted it, but I think it was Graham and Simon Pagno or Elio that had a run-in in that race as well, that was much more contact than what we saw between Romain Grosjean and Graham Rahel. Yet somehow Graham doesn't have a problem with that contact. That was a lot more uh, egregious or a lot, at least a lot more contact than, than what we saw out of Grosjean. So I saw the headline. I, I, I saw that on racer here on Thursday, and I'm just hoping that it's not IndyCar saying, okay, we're going to police this more 
and that's a penalty now because it was no arm, no foul. I like the bumping as long as it's not punting somebody or wrecking somebody. And quite for, frankly, for example, Elio punted Jimmy Johnson. Yes, at Barber. Yeah, absolutely, which deserved a penalty. So I just hope that you know when we talk about oh, IndyCar needs drama. We need drivers, you know, maybe calling each other out or a little bit of of outward confrontation, short of fisticuffs. We have it here with Ray Hall versus Grosjean, and I hope that IndyCar's not trying to corral it and bottle it because, quite frankly, this is some of the things that sell in other series that IndyCar just doesn't have enough of. Taking a look at the poll results, on which side are you on? 57% said Team Indy Rivals. I love it. Which is the important thing. 22% Team Ray Hall, 21% Team Grosjean. Look at some of the replies here. Hunter's Way 67 says, a little hate is good. As Robin Miller used to always say, Human Spectre 1, bumping is racing. Poet Shevchenko, I care not from whence the drama flows, only that it flows. <laughs> and left underscore brigade, is it ironic that there was the Z quote tweet while also being upset at Grosjean's aggressiveness? Seems like you can't have it both ways. And, and that was referring to Graham. So I don't know, but either way, I'm fine with how things played out as long as it doesn't take another level and they're not calling anything. And, you know, let's say hypothetically it does go to the next level. Does Graham Ray Hall punt Romain Grosjean or spin him or something this weekend and send a message? You know, okay, great. Then that's an escalation of the drama, right? I'm all for it. Bring it. As long as you're not putting somebody in a position where they're going to get hurt or something like that, then I'm all for it. I'm, you know... I know there's the purists out there that any type of contact, they say, well, this isn't NASCAR or whatever. I'm, I'm here for it. More, more is merrier as long as it's not putting somebody in a dangerous position. And then also another poll. It is 2025 is Indianapolis on the F1 season schedule. 79% of you said no. 21% said yes. JP underscore Orlowski 27 says, I unfortunately don't think it will be even though I think it totally should be. And Racer Mac RTP one says, Depends on if the SMI rent check to Coda is enough to keep the gates open. That's talking about NASCAR at Coda. And that track rental, I think, helping the expenses for the F1 event, which I think is on much more solid footing after last year compared to what we thought going into it. Yeah, I I've personally find it um, it would be absolutely shocking if Indianapolis is uh, is on the F1 schedule in 2025 regardless of where we're at with Coda and Miami and and Vegas I think you're looking at now with with F Formula 1 adding events is they have to be huge events right and Miami it was a huge event and Vegas is going to be a huge event and no matter what you do at Indianapolis no matter how big you try to make it it's never going to be as big as the Indianapolis 500. I think what's next for IMS is simply a, a, an IMSA race, right? Or world World endurance, you know, either of those two series much more in line with what we expect to come to IMS before F1. I just don't know if in today's formula one with the desire of venues to have formula one, that the Indianapolis motor speedway is the glamorous, overhyped exciting star-studded spectacle that formula one is looking for now in its new races i just i I don't get that feeling at indianapolis motor speedway ims is a great facility it's it's got history it's got all that it just 
in today's Formula One, I just don't think it has the aesthetic and excitement and spectacle that Formula One is looking for. I just don't think the track layout and the setup and it's just it's not the right location. It worked 20 years ago. Right. I just don't think it works now, which is a shame. But look, I, the Speedway will be fine. Yeah, the Speedway will be fine. And, you know, uh, quite frankly, you know, I watched Miami and it was it was, um, you know, a typical Formula One race. Majority of it was boring. The late tire, it you know, selections and, and potential drama up front. That was that added some drama. But I mean, the who's who of of American sport were there. And, you know, anytime Martin Brundle's on uh, the grid walk and has a, has has an incident, you know, it's it's a good thing, I guess, an entertaining <laughs> thing. But I think for all involved, it was a successful event for Formula One and a successful event for the Miami Grand Prix. Their big issue now is going forward is trying to figure out how to make money off it. Yes. Which, which is key to the longevity of the event. Year one, losing money, not a big deal. However, year two, when it's not the new flashy event, that's when you wonder if they will have the turnout and the interest. Well, I think, you know, you need to come closer to breaking even next year and then year three, you really need to be in the black or yes. or you're in, in trouble. But I think for a first time event, uh, I thought it went off pretty darn good. And I think, you know, the, the F1 drivers were receptive to it. Um, it's just, you know, interesting side note is I feel like despite all the politicking over the weekend. I don't feel like Andretti, Michael Andretti is any closer to having Andretti global as part of formula one in 2024. No, seems like he has support of roughly half the paddock and there's even not the important half. I mean, he's got two, he's got Alpine and Zach Brown with McLaren. Those are the two that voted for him. And sounds like he may be able to get Christian Horner and Red Bull. Maybe, but you know, Toto Wolf came out and said it and said, basically, you know, the way we cut this pie is you need to bring basically a billion dollars to the table for us to even consider adding an 11th team. And for, you know, and I can't remember who it was that reported this. I don't know if it was on the race.com or something, but you know, when we talked about Alpine and Zach Brown, those were the two that voted to waive the what? $200 million entry fee basically. Mm -hmm. And my thing is if Andretti global, doesn't have the capital or you know and you know the comfort in terms of their money to spend 200 million dollars on the entry fee then how are they going to meet that billion dollar mark that Toto Wolf was throwing around I just think right now it's an astronomical amount of money to get into Formula One and I, I feel like in the end Andretti's going to get into Formula One but I think the better entry path right now is buying into a team at this point He's got two signatures. Horner didn't sign, but at least it sounded like Horner was more open to it than Toto was. But I mean, <laughs> those are the two team. you absolutely have to have in your corner to make it happen. And who knows about Ferrari? And, and even then, in the end, it comes down to FIA approval. The FIA could come in tomorrow and say, this is happening. And the owners just have to accept it. But Formula One has, as an entity, and I, I don't know enough about Formula One to know if this has always been the case, but team principles and teams have a hell of a lot of clout when it comes to rules, regulations, and changes within the sport. And I feel like they're not going to let something like this happen, if not the majority back it. And right now, it's not even close to the majority for Andretti Global. No, and it could be another five months, I think, is what I've read 
So the, the wait could continue longer and longer and longer. And we'll see if anything changes, um, you know, out of that because it just does not look very positive at the moment. Doesn't look promising at all. I mean, it could be a wait for a couple of years until, you know, inevitable a team is going to come up for sale, right? Or open up a path to buy a majority ownership of a team. And I feel like that right now may be the easier path. One other note on the mailbag before we move on this from DC Soda. Discussing Grosjean Rahal says very much a grandly Grosjean discussion. Love to see some mixing it up without really putting anyone out and some spice. Also, I've learned to believe maybe 50% of the complaining when it's from Ray Hall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, f- I feel like, you know, Ray Hall saying, oh, the you know, majority or not the majority, but, you know, what do you say? Up to 10 other drivers, you know, texted in in support of, of their, you know, not liking how Grosjean drives. I just find trivial, like, you know. Fight your own battles, man. You don't need any reinforcements or anything. You know, don't try to come. Well, you know, I'm not the only one, right? No, just don't make this a paddock wide issue. It's you versus Grosjean, and that's fine, and that's great. That's great for entertainment. Just own it and see if sometime down the road you can maybe send a message his way. All right, that wraps up the mailbag. As always, send us your tweets, emails, Facebook messages, snail mail, yeah, if you will. Twenty nine fifteen Maples Road, Fort Wayne, Indiana. You can send us a letter. That's fine. Um, We will read it. We will get to it. And moving on to news and notes, kind of continuing on with the F1 discussion, an Autosport article, Roger Penske says, we'd like to have an F1 race, but I think right now we're kind of in the back seat. Not a surprise there on on where things are at. And then Adam Stern, uh, Sports Business Journal, pulling this from RacingNews365.com. I hear the Andretti F1 matter could soon be headed for the courts unless a solution is found. Last thing listed company Liberty Media can afford is a legal standoff with the USA's first family of motor racing. That's well, not going to end well for anyone. No, I yeah. I mean, imagine imagine the court uh, ruling goes Andretti Global's way, and they somehow then get into Formula One. How friendly are the rest of the teams going to be when they're basically forced to share their cash in an eleventh to eleventh team? So, yeah, I, I don't. Even if it goes Andretti Global's way, I don't think it's an ideal solution. And it doesn't help that these comments by Liberty Media CEO Greg Maffey uh, in Miami last week. If any of you watch the Indy 500, look at the difference in the coverage and how strong the F1 coverage is versus the Indy 500 coverage. (sighs) Is he wrong? I would say the Indy 500 coverage is solid. Look, they're not working with a global scale when it comes to True. a TV partner like it, these aren't fair comparisons I would agree I feel like you know this is the thing too I mean I'm sure he's he's talking about you know what global credential requests for Miami and it being a first time event and you know the popularity of Formula One around the world that's growing and including the United States I could see that I don't know what he's basing it on is it just credentials I'm not sure but I think it's debatable. Sure. I, I I wouldn't say it's far off. They're different products. And if you're going to complain about NBC's coverage, you were probably also complaining about ABC's coverage, you know, just a couple of years ago. True. And versus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, 
Look, I get it. IndyCar fans are going to complain. I complain about NBC coverage, but that doesn't mean I don't value what they do. I think they do a great job. They have some room for improvement, but nobody bats a thousand. Yeah, Yeah, we have room for improvement. (laughs) Very little room, but yes, room indeed for improvement. So I I don't know. I, I don't get trying to start a fire at your marquee new event in the month of May compared to the 8500. I mean, that was done intentionally. Like, I'm not dumb. He's trying sure, to sure. start something, but would, I don't understand his end game with it. Would it help Michael Andretti to invest in an F2 team? An F3? I know that's playing the no. long game. No, it would not. No, not any means you don't think? Because there, there'd still be a barrier to entry. You look at, there are teams that have had great success in F2, F3, Carlin, for right. example. They're never going to sniff an F1 entry. Right. So True. I don't I don't think it really helps. Like, yes, does it help on the networking side and maybe, you know, having people on your team who worked in F1 who could maybe give you some guidance. And just yes. being more involved, I guess, over there in different realms, would it help? I don't know. I, I don't think so because they're so closed off on wanting to add entries that I don't think it it does anything for you. I mean, this just reinforces just how elite formula one is you have you know what many consider maybe the first family or one of the first families of autosport in this country and even around the world the andretti's right and want to enter the pinnacle of motorsport in formula one as a team the patriarch basically mario won a championship in formula one michael raced in formula one and they're being, they, they have, for all intents and purposes, hundreds of millions of dollars to invest. I don't know if we can throw the billion dollar around, but they have hundreds of millions of dollars to invest. They would, I don't know if greatly is the word, but they would increase interest even more in the United States if they were indeed in the series. And they are being roadblocked at every opportunity. I mean, that's just how insanely political and money-driven Formula One is. And that's not, you know, knocking Formula One. That's just reality. And it's worked for them, obviously. I mean, you're looking at an entity that paid $240 million for 39 acres <laughs> in Las Vegas to own for, what, their paddock? Yes. And and all that. Like, $240 million for 39 acres that they'll use four days out of the year. Right? But... That much money to them is like what twenty bucks to yeah, us. Yeah, I mean that's 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 what you're dealing with. That's why you know you and I could go to to meet with the FIA tomorrow and say, hey, we got three hundred million dollars that we're going to throw into Formula One right now, and they're like, nah, sorry. Unless you're a sponsor, they'd laugh you off. Yeah, they're you know we want to we want to get a team in. Where we got here's we got we got five hundred million dollars. And we're like, no, try doubling that. That's that's just how insane Formula One is. It's ins- it's insanity, you know. So we look and say, "Hey, Andretti Global, they got hundreds of millions of dollars to invest. It's not enough." One other note on F1 related to IndyCar: Mario Andretti will drive a McLaren, the US GP in Austin. So that's cool. Yeah, previous McLaren F1 much. race car did a good job in the booth. I think it was at FP2. Uh, that was on. He was on. He was on when Leclerc crashed, right? 
I, I did not watch FP2. I'll be honest. I, I watched the race. That's about it. Uh, but I think he was on during uh, one of the uh, practices in the booth with, with yes. the guys. So. I saw a screenshot, I think, from Indy 44, who's all over that stuff. Yeah. All right. Back to IndyCar. We have some sponsor announcements. We have some different uh, regulations and changes for this weekend. More livery reveals. We'll get all to it. First off on the livery reveals. We touched on Will Power earlier. That's his Indy 500 car, to be clear. So that will not be racing on Saturday. Renus VK, however, will compete in the Bitcoin car with uh, BitNile as well. So he had the Bitcoin car last year for the, for the 500. This year, he'll have Bitcoin and BitNile, who's Connor Daly's sponsor for uh, the Indy 500 as well. And I believe for this weekend... If I I'm do not believe, mistaken, I think. I think it's both races as I want to double check myself because it will stand out. Roman Grosjean also in an orange car and that will be the Gleaners Food Bank car. Marco Andretti ran that, I think, last year or two years ago for an event. So uh, VK actually will be in an orange car, but that's the building tomorrow. Yeah, yes. Car that to for raising money. Um. But he will be in an orange car. Grosjean will be in an orange car. <laughs> Good luck telling Lots of oranges. Apart. Yes. But the Bitcoin BitNile car for VK will be for the Indy 500. Speaking of the Indy 500, J.R. Hildebrand's AJ Foyt racing car unveiled. Homes for our troops. It's a nonprofit uh, with ABC Supply that builds and donates adapted custom homes for post 9-11 vets. ABC Supply will match all donations up to $1 million dollars. From May 21st through May 30th, really cool looking ride for J.R. Hildebrand, which is nothing new. I feel like his Indy 500 rides always look really cool. I would agree, yeah. And, you know, it, it looks vaguely similar to, you know, the quote-unquote normal ABC supply livery that we see. Some changes uh, in other notes for this weekend. So the EM marshalling system, which is the li- caution lights system that F1 uses, that will be in place this weekend for the GMR Grand Prix for the first time. They tested that the same week they had the manufacturer test with Chevy and Honda back on the road course. That would have been what last month or that would have been March, late March, I think uh, with that test. So that will be in place this weekend for the first time. Is that something that we're going to know? I'm wondering if we're going to actually notice that other than, I mean, they'll have the boards up, right? Yes. We may notice LED boards, but if they point it out, but otherwise I don't think we will. Yeah. Which is fine. I don't need to notice it. It's just, um, I was wondering if we would see the difference. Tyrese Halliburton of the Indiana Pacers will wave the green flag. Also join Mario in the two seater. So good, good for him for that. Or, or sorry, he will lead the field with Mario Andretti in the two. Okay. Not waving the green flag. Gotcha. On the Indy light side, Ryan Finney. You remember that name? Vaguely. So he ran Handful of races in Indy Lights, I think back in 2014, tested with KV in 2015. 32 years old, he's going to make a start for Able Motorsports for the doubleheader. So he'll start both races this weekend in Indy Lights. And then Kiffin Simpson, who's in Indy Lights, he's now a development driver for Chip Ganassi Racing. Very, I saw that, and I wonder if that's a path that we're going to see more and more teams go is sign some of these guys that are in their teens and um, really kind of lay the groundwork for their future. He's only 17, so 
and, and look, he he clearly needs more time and lights in the development series, but for them to latch on to someone like you said, I think a lot of people complain and talk about, well, Pinsky and Ganassi don't invest in Indy lights. This is an actual sign of that. Yeah, most definitely. So, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting weekend for a lot involved, that's for sure. And I feel we talked about the road to Indy and Indy lights and how many drivers we're seeing in the series, you know, graduate, you know, it's, it's going to be a fascinating storyline to watch some of these junior drivers or some of these young teenage drivers that these teams are kind of locking up for development deals and see how that works. And maybe this is the Avenue that teams will take IndyCar teams into investing in Indy lights is these development drivers. Yeah. They don't have specific teams in the road to Indy, but maybe they're financing some of these junior drivers and helping with their development and all that stuff as they come up. Speaking of financing, can we get money for miles row, by the way? Yes, please. This could be his last weekend in USF 2000. I know he's raised a decent amount of money, but hopefully that story can continue to be pushed out there and he can continue in that series because he's leading the championship and very deserving. And it's it's crazy how hard it has been for him to find sponsorship. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like the racing results speak for themselves. You'd like to see somebody step up and, you know, Marshall Pruitt had an interesting anecdote that the fact that, you know, there was an anonymous donor for his efforts and and it was basically believed that it was Roger Penske throwing a quarter of a million dollars in there. So anybody saying, well, you know, Penske should just put up the money. He's put up six figures of money. And, and for a guy that yes, he's, he's got a lot of money, but he is very stringent on, different avenues of his business. So he doesn't pull from business A to finance business B, if that makes sense. So for him to throw in six figures of of his money is is a big investment and you just hope it works out for Miles Rowe. He could very well win a series championship this year if he races the entire season. Yeah, if if he can race the entire season, which is the unfortunate question mark at the moment. Continuing on with some uh, driver news as we shift to 2023. So obviously a lot of talk in recent weeks, Alexander Rossi, you know, will he go to McLaren? We're told that's a, a done deal. Renus VK, kind of the next name on the docket as Kyle Kirkwood likely will slot into Rossi's seat at Andretti for 2023. So Ed Carpenter talking with Marshall Prude of racer.com and they're trying to work on a deal, approaching a, a new deal for Renus VK with urgency. Also, Ed opened to running three full-time cars if the right road course driver with a budget can be found. Um, but right now, they're focused on uh, the re-signing of Renus VK. Now, meanwhile, David Malsher Lopez, Motorsport.com, with an article on Renus VK. And you get down further on, and he, he's more speculating here, he's not saying it's a done deal. However, some of the quotes are interesting on what Renus had to say, talking about the future and his future with Ed Carpenter Racing. And VK goes on to say, talking about this year, I think we can finish between 7th and 5th in the championship, and then I think there's definitely a chance for us next year to fight for the championship. Our progress is really impressive now. And Mulsher Lopez says, that sounds like VK has already settled on racing for Carpenter for a fourth season, as with any other other query, he responds in a straightforward manner. 
Well, yes, I would like to stay with Ed, but it's also true that I'm a free agent. At the end of this season, there's been a lot of interest from other teams, which is nice. For me, what I want is to be challenging for the championship. I believe I have what it takes to win it. If I believe I can do that with Ed's team, then I have no reason to leave. I really like it here. So keep that in mind. Okay. Uh, that, that sounds well and good, but bring up a list of series champions in IndyCar. When's the last time, and I know we talk about, oh, it's not no longer the big three, it's the big four or whatever. When's the last time? It's the big two in reality. Yeah, I mean, big two. When's the last time somebody won a championship from a team not Ganassi, Penske, or Andretti? So you have to go all the way back to 2002 and Sam Hornish Jr., I believe. It's been 20 years. Right? I mean, that's the one that I thought of first. With Panther? Yeah. He yeah. won in 2001 2002. With Panther Racing. So let's say, and I, I mean, as you look it up, let's say that's right. 2000, it's been 20 years since somebody outside of those three teams has won a championship. So I, until that happens, quite frankly, I find it hard to believe that at Ed Carpenter Racing, you can compete for a serious championship because we haven't seen it done. Yeah, 2001, 2002. Same Hornish Jr. And that's not just throwing Ray Hall, Letterman, Landing under the bus. That's throwing everybody else in the paddock under the bus. You know what I mean? And and even, you know, you could throw Andretti at that point that, eh, what has it been since? Hunter Ray in 2012. 2012, so it's been 10 years since Andretti. So let's, let's go even further. Over the last 10 years, there's two teams that are winning championships in IndyCar. Okay. So if you have an opportunity to go to one of those two teams, you do it. I'm looking at you, Alexander Rossi. What about going to McLaren compared to Ed Carpenter Racing? Yes. Now, I think you have a better opportunity at McLaren to compete for a series championship, but until McLaren does it, I'm not putting him in the conversation of Penske and Ganassi. I'm just saying, like, Renus, it sounds good, but... Ray Hall, you know, but Ed Carpenter Racing has not proven that it can be a series title contender over the course of their time in IndyCar. Which it's is just reality. It goes back a decade. Yeah, I mean, that's just a reality. And as look, they've had talented drivers there, right? Uh, yeah, they've won a handful of races. Yeah. Mike Conway, Joseph Newgarden, obviously Ed Carpenter. Yeah, they've, they've had, all won races there. Arguably, they have had arguably the most complete driver in the sport right now in Joseph Newgarden on their team, and they did not compete for a championship or did not win a championship. So all I'm saying is, Renus, before you sign on that dotted line that you're staying long-term for for that team, even if it's just another year, if you have an offer from another team that has a greater opportunity to win a series championship, you definitely sign it. A team that will not be competing for a series championship this year, but wants to be in the championship next year. Not Top Gun Racing, but Neil Ederson and his son, driver R.C. Ederson, Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com, saying they've taken a step forward in their plan to be in IndyCar Well, in they have a chassis. Yes. They have uh, gotten chassis. the uh, cars back, and so that's settled that ownership question, and now they're working on getting everything together. The Anderson says they have the cars, the transporter. Now they have to obviously get a crew and the other pieces together. RC Anderson, five starts, best finish of ninth in 2016 with Dale Coyne Racing and Watkins Glen that year. 
They have plans to do a few races next year, but they're trying to secure sponsorship for the full schedule. Yeah. That's a big leap. It is. For a new team. And we're seeing right this off-season story pop up before the Indy 500, which is a good thing because that, that shows you the health of IndyCar compared to where it's been. It is. I would just, I, I would temper my expectations if I'm R.C. Enerson. First off, it's a nepotism thing. Dad owns it, has his own team, wants to have his own team. Son drives. You know, how long-term prospects-wise, how does that look? Also tough because as a one-car team, it's hard to be competitive. You know, you got to find an alliance. You got to find a crew. You got to find engineering. I mean, that's a lot. To me, I'm aiming for Indy 500 and maybe a couple other races next year. I mean, build slowly. I mean, R.C. Anderson's still a young guy, doesn't have the proof to, you know, and part of it's not a lack of opportunity. I understand. But you know, being a new team, single car team, jumping right into the deep end of a full-time season, I wouldn't do that in today's day and age. A couple other notes to get to before we wrap things up. Elio Castroneves has his face on the program. Also, 4th Street inside IMS is named after him. That happened Thursday afternoon. Congrats to Elio. Very fitting as well. Sarah Fisher, nine-time Indy 500 starter, will be this year's pace car driver. The pace car is the 2023 Corvette Z06 70th Anniversary Edition. Car looks very sharp. I prefer the Corvettes over the Camaros, personally. I would, too. The new Corvettes are amazing. Yeah. yeah, especially the rear engine. Yes, yeah. So um, good for Sarah, because when she was called, look, she's normally the pace car driver yeah. for series events, so this is not like a big deal. And she was caught off guard. No, the pace car driver. Yeah, the official. And that's a, a pretty cool deal. It's I get that people can go back and forth on having celebrity drivers versus having, you know, former drivers. Look, up until the last 15, 20 years, they were usually, most of the time, former drivers for a handful of years. Right. And, and maybe that's something that uh, Roger Penske would like to get back to. I'm not sure because... Sarah Fisher's not going to gain the attention of a, a celebrity or a superstar. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And I think a lot of, of I would say the lot, but part of the draw to Formula One events, we saw it in Miami, is the amount of celebrities that are there, right? So that's a, that's a sell. That's definitely a sell for, for Formula One. So uh, I'm happy for Sarah, but... I feel if if the route is to get a name person to drive the pace car, you fell short. But if the goal was to get a competent person that knows what they're doing, definitely got one. Yeah, far exceeded expectation yes, there. most definitely. All right, this from Chris Medlin, F1. We didn't get to this, but look, to me, it's a non-starter. Sebastian Vettel made a, a comment about Road America and how Road America is a proper track. That's great and all. Um, and then Graham Ray Hall invited, you know, Seb to check out Road America, and Bobby said he's on board to give Seb a test in an IndyCar. It's a great story. Um, Seb said after the race about that, I need to have a look, but it's a great track, so let's see. I don't think anything will come of it, at least until Sebastian's done with Formula One. Yes, I can agree with that. I really could see him coming over and racing road and street courses. I never see him on an oval. No. In America. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, 
I mean, he's won the, what, he's won four championships? Yes. All with Red Bull? I mean, back in the day? He's got nothing to prove. I mean, he is one of the more likable guys in the Formula One paddock. Tells it like it is, most definitely, but... Um, because he's earned the right to tell yeah, it like it is. He absolutely has earned the right, uh, for sure. I could see maybe just a test at this point, but I, I don't see Sebastian Vettel walking away from a Formula One ride for IndyCar and... Uh, Maybe after his career, he comes over. Maybe it's a test. Maybe it's a couple races. But I never see him being a full-time competitor in IndyCar. All right, Justin. Tweets of the week real quick. And then we'll get to our random split air driver of the week. First tweet of the week from Tony Kanaan. Not sure why, but I've been thinking about Robin Miller a lot today. Miss you, brother. Robin definitely missed this time of year. Definitely. And anybody who spent any length of time in the uh, media center at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you, you miss seeing Robin and uh, in his uh, caricature t-shirts or sweatshirt with uh, sweatpants. I mean, the guy made uh, the sweatpants and sweatshirt work in, in, in modern day, pulled it off and definitely will be missed. This from Kyle Kirkwood, K Kirkwood Racing on Twitter. Well, the flight in front of us on my way to Indy was just landed by a passenger. Craziest thing I've heard on a flight. Hope the pilot is okay. Wow, really? That was that small plane yes. in Florida that got landed a couple days ago by somebody that had never flown a plane before. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's it's a crazy story, and uh, we are set to chat with Kyle in a couple weeks, so we'll definitely ask him about that for sure. And then this from Nick Yeoman of IndyCar Radio in Yeoman on Twitter. That really was the Miami Dolphins of F1 races, if you think about it. Nothing happened for the first half. Then when you thought it might get exciting at the end, it didn't. Ouch. Sums it up. I thought it looked good. And for an old stadium, they've made, you know, Joe Robbie Stadium is what it used to be. Look pretty darn modern. I haven't, I haven't heard that reference in so long. To me, as a kid, it was pro player stadium. Ah, see, so. you no, know, it was Joe Robbie for me back in the day. But no, it was... Other than the marina, which uh, I think it was, uh, um, was it Watt, I think, that said it was he was embarrassed to be an American because of uh, the fake marina. So it, it was weird. But other than that, I thought it was, uh, it, was a, it was a pretty good event. And we'll see now if it takes away some of the cachet from Coda. But I, I thought it was uh, pretty exciting. And the, the drivers seemed to like it. Maybe some... Some little things to work out on the layout, but that always happens after a, a first run on a street course. So um, overall, I felt like it was a pretty pretty solid event. All right, time for your random split era driver of the week. All right, we're going back to cart this week. We're going to the 1997 cart PPG World Series. I know you have every race on VHS still in your archives, but we're going to go to Peyton Coin Racing. Always a good uh, team to look at when we're looking at random split era drivers of the week. We're going to go to a Paul Jasper. Who? Paul Jasper out of Dayton, Ohio. Hey, that's my mom's hometown. Really? Yeah. I like Dayton. It's got, uh, it's got the Air Force Museum there that I love going to. Yes. And there are countless times. And usually when I'm going to Cincinnati when I was a kid, getting to Dayton, you know, he only had about 45 more minutes or so. But Paul Jasper, he raced, uh, he was the 1996 Rookie of the Year in Toyota Atlantics, finished third overall, and in 1997 signed to drive in cart for Dale Coyne Racing, driving the Lola Ford Cosworth, and he raced six races, or he attempted six races, failed to qualify for two, resulting in four race starts. His best finish was 18th place at the Milwaukee Mile. 
about and that? what I find interesting. So the full time car was Michelle Jordan Jr. Yes. Well known name. Um Roberto Moreno ran one race. Uh-huh. For the thirty four car that Jasper was a part of. Christian Danner ran a couple of races. Dennis Vitolo. See, I'm saying this is a who's who of random yeah, split it, air no, drivers it, of the week. It really is. And then throw in Charlie Nierberg, a former split air driver of the week entry, yes. I believe. Yes, he was. Fascinating stuff. So he raised, he made four races, four starts. He did not qualify for, uh, let's see, he didn't qualify for Nazareth and didn't qualify for Gateway that year, but had four starts. Best finish was at the Milwaukee Mile. Also started Surfer's Paradise Long Beach and Rio, Brazil. And uh, it says uh, coming off the 1997 Lola was a, quote, very uncompetitive and flawed chassis, to say (laughs) the least. It was a bad timing for Jasper. Um, And that's it. Like, you look at his Wikipedia, and it's it's only with IndyCar, or only with CART. So he was done after race seven of that season, never saw him again in CART. And no other stats in terms of of racing. So Paul Jasper from Caleb's mom's hometown of Dayton, Ohio, this week's random split era driver of the week. All right. Well, that will do it. And next week we'll be back, of course, with our regular episode recapping the GMR Grand Prix. Also, we'll trickle in some special interview episodes. It'll probably be in the, you know, 15, 20 minute variety throughout next week and the week after. So uh, be on the lookout for some special interviews with drivers and and other people related to the sport here in the next two weeks. Thanks to Christian Lungard for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. And thanks to you for joining us on another edition of new track record podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.